You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Welcome back to another episode of the Digital State of Mind podcast. Speaking of podcasts, I need some podcast recommendations if anyone has any. I am really bad at actually finding podcasts and getting into them. And then once I'm into it, I'm obsessed with it. Um, I was listening to Chatty Broads. That was my favorite podcast ever. And then they ended it. And I'm so sad about that. Um, And I've been listening to the Vile Files one with Nick Vile. Um, that one's been interesting. I listened to, what is that true crime one that's really popular? Uh, not morbid, but the other one, I can't remember, but yeah, I like true crime ones. I like, um, if anyone listened to Chatty Broads, I really like that one. That was a favorite of mine. And I like business ones as well. Sometimes it's just hard to find. really good business podcast. So yeah, send me your recommendations on Instagram, please. Today, we are going to be talking all about real estate. (laughs) Um, this is, uh, this is going to be for some of you, a very exciting episode and interesting episode. If you are in the throes of real estate, becoming interested in real estate, wanting to buy a house, wanting to figure out how to rent an apartment, especially if you are self-employed. And for some of you, you may be like, I don't care about hearing this at all. And I totally understand. Also, let me just throw the caveat (laughs) out there of, I am not a realtor. I am not a real estate expert. And if you, I'm sure there are some realtors listening to this that are going to be listening to me say some things that are like, uh, <laughs> not that, I mean, I'm going to be try try to be as accurate as possible. And I have done some research for all of you. A lot of this is also based on my own personal experience and real estate, getting a loan, buying a house, selling a house, blah, blah, blah. All of that can be really, really convoluted. Does anybody hear Tori, t- Tori, <laughs> Teddy snoring in the background? Um, all of it can be really convoluted and it a lot of it's going to depend on your personal situation, on your finances, your credit score, whether you have a partner or not, whether you're financing the loan by yourself. So take everything that I'm saying with a grain of salt and as always, it's best to consult a professional. But I think that there's going to be some stuff that you can glean from this episode and I'm sure that you'll learn some stuff, especially if real estate is very confusing to you like it was to me a couple of years ago. It's still confusing. There's still a lot to be learned, but I have done quite a lot of buying and selling of property over the past two, well, three years. So, Let's dive in. Okay, so first things first, I'm going to give you a rundown of my journey with apartments, buying houses, buying land, selling 
and all of that. And then I'm going to kind of elaborate on certain subjects. And then I'm also going to dive into some questions that I got in my question box on Instagram when I asked what you were wondering about in terms of real estate around, I think it was like two weeks ago. So my experience with all of this, um, in 2000. 18, I rented my first apartment and that I rented with one of my best friends. So we were able to qualify for that together and it really wasn't a big deal. Um, in 2019, around then, my timeline may be a little bit sloppy for 2018 and 2019. They kind of blur together for me. A lot was happening in my life during those years. So forgive me, not that anyone would know 100%. <laughs> what the uh what the incorrect incorrectness no inaccurateness of the timeline is but either way 2019 I got an apartment on my own it may have been late 2018 either way that was the first time I that was the first time that I lived by myself with no one else in the house or in my apartment um and I had to qualify for that on my own I was able to do that and I'm honestly quite surprised that I was able to do that because I really did not have great credit. I was not making a lot. I didn't have a lot in savings, but I was able to do it. And my boss kind of helped me out with that um, and just making sure that I was able to kind of provide them proof. And I was able to get in there with no issues. It was a really, really small apartment, but it was in a great location in town. It was close to work. It was close to my friends. It was close to pretty much all of the places that I went to often and it was fine. Um, I actually had some bad experiences at that apartment the longer that I lived there, especially towards the end whenever I was nearing moving out. Um, my car got keyed three or four times on separate occasions living there. And I'm 99% sure it was the same person, but I don't know who that person was. Never figured it out. There weren't cameras. That was really frustrating. Um, and that's kind of besides the point, but this is a bit of a wild story. Um, something else that ended up happening there was, <laughs> was that I came home from work one night and my schedule was very, very consistent. I left super early in the morning, got home pretty late in the evenings from work, worked Monday through Friday. This was also when I was running a lot. So I would, you know, sometimes go out running at like 5, 5.30 a.m., um, and then I would usually run after work and on the weekends. Anyways, one night I got home from work and someone had shoved feces, <laughs> not human feces, dear God, but cat feces in my keyholes of my door and on my doormat. When I tell you I was, I think that my soul left my body for a moment when I arrived home to see that because it was just like, what the hell? <laughs> Who on earth is the type of person that's like, you know what? This neighbor that I never really see, I also never talked to any of my neighbors. I am not, I've never been great at doing that. In this neighborhood we live in now, I'm, I'm better at it and I'm trying to make an effort to get to know people, but I've never been the type of person that's like, I want to get to know my neighbors and invite them over. And especially in an apartment, I just kind of kept to myself and I was really busy at the time with work. So yeah, I was like, who on earth would be the type of person to be like, you know what? I'm going to take some cat feces 
I'm going to go through the effort of getting it out of the litter box or wherever they sourced this from, and then I'm going to transport it over to the front of their door. I'm going to not only put it on the, the mat, the welcome mat, but let's just go a step further and I'm going to shove it in the keyhole so that it really, really ruins their day. <laughs> So that was pretty appalling when that happened. Um, and then I started getting love letters in my door from my like six year old neighbor, which was quite scary living by yourself as a woman and starting to get letters from this person who also in these letters was basically telling me like, you're, you know, you're a young girl, you need to have pepper spray, you need to keep one on your nightstand, you need to take one with you when you go running. So clearly it had been kind of watching what I was doing. Um, and that was pretty enraging. I confronted him because I was just pissed off to no end and I was feeling very empowered to go and stand my ground. Um, so yeah, uh, I moved out about a month after all of that happened <laughs> because it was kind of just like my lease was ending anyways. And I was like, there is no way in hell that I am staying in this apartment. And this was also around the time that I was moving to New Jersey anyway. I was in a relationship at the time with my ex. And so I moved to New Jersey and this was also around the time that I started my business. So fast forward, I'm living in New Jersey. Um, and you know, if any of you have kind of heard the podcast, if you've heard me on other people's podcasts, I've kind of talked about that relationship and obviously that ended it was in divorce, <laughs> the COVID divorce, you know, um, but yeah, we ended up buying a house in November of 2020. That was the first piece of real estate that I ever actually bought myself. And oddly enough, we also separated the exact same month. I believe it was we we hadn't even moved fully into the house by the time that we were separating, which was really uncomfortable, really just a horrid situation, not only just like emotionally and mentally, but also logistically and financially, I had just put $60,000 down on a house that I was no longer going to be living in and that I was basically just kind of like, I'm just going to throw my hands up and, you know, cut my losses here. Really sucks. But um, yeah, so let me dive into that a little bit further. Um, at that time, I had obviously only had my business successfully. Well, I'd only had my business for around, what is that? March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, nine months. And whenever you're buying a house as a self-employed person, one of the you know biggest requirements that you're going to need in order to use your business income to qualify for a loan is 2 years of tax returns at that point i had zero tax returns at all so in that scenario they're going to base your qualifications for your loan off of your you know previous tax returns and it also can start to get a little bit sticky in that situation if you're not still currently employed at that, you know, at the place where you have your previous tax returns from. So I was kind of in this like real estate purgatory at the time. 
And I found myself in real estate purgatory many, many times, and somehow I've always found a workaround. So if you are in that situation, rest assured that there are ways always to work around things. So the workaround in that situation was an FHA loan, and um, my ex's parents also co-signed as well. So that was a huge help. Um, if you have somebody that can co-sign with you, even if it's not permanent, you know, you don't have to have someone co-sign and then they're always on the loan. If you're in a situation where maybe your parents can help you or you have someone that can help you, they can co-sign for you. And then as soon as you're able to, you can refinance the loan and it can be completely in your name. So that's always an option. And then there's also FHA loans, which at the time I did not have great credit. I was still working on building up my credit and, you know, I was, it was getting better, but it was by no means a good situation. I had for, you know, the majority of 2018 and 2019, I was in really bad debt, like $20,000 worth of debt. I was having to open credit cards to be able to pay my bills, to be able to basically live. And I had, I, I was basically drowning because of the fact that my interest rates were so high on my credit card that I would make a payment and feel like I, I could make a $300 payment and it felt like I had only made, you know, a $100 payment because my interest rates were so high. So I was in a pretty bad situation with my credit. Once I started my business, that definitely improved because, you know, around seven-ish months after I started my business, I was able to pay that credit card off in full, which I remember almost crying when I did that because I thought that that would, that, I basically thought I was going to be stuck with this debt for the rest of my life. It just felt like there was no way out of it felt like i was in quicksand and it was ruining my credit which as most of you know domino effects into so many other facets of your life so i was able to pay that off and i was building my credit back up but it takes time to do that even if you've completely paid your debt off so with an FHA loan, there are two main different types of loans. You have an FHA loan and then you have a conventional loan. A conventional loan is what most people who have, you know, pretty good financial footing are going to go for. And it's also more likely to be accepted by someone selling their house because they trust a conventional loan more, which is very annoying because you could be like, I'm going to buy the house. I have the money for the down payment. I'm going to qualify. But if a seller sees conventional loan and an FHA loan, they're usually going to pick the conventional loan. Anyways, with an FHA loan, you are able to still qualify for financing and qualify to buy a house even if you don't have super great credit, which was really helpful for me. Um, usually, and I, you know, I'm again trying to be as accurate as possible here, but with the research that I've done recently and over the years, Typically, places want you to have at least a 620 credit score to qualify for a conventional loan. Um, and honestly, I have worked with, you know, um, lenders and companies before that wanted you to have like a 720, 740 minimum, which is a pretty high minimum. So it can be quite tricky, but... Moral of the story is that FHA loans are always an option if you're like, you know, I'm working on building things back up. I have consistent income right now, but my credit score is kind of shot from 
past life experience and you need some help in that regard. So FHA loan is always your op- always an option in that regard. Um, typically with an FHA loan and a conventional loan, I think the minimum amount that you can put down on an FHA loan is 3.5%. So let's do some numbers. Okay, if you are buying a house that is at $200,000 and you have to put down 3.5%, then you're going to be putting down around $7,000 as your down payment plus closing costs, closing costs for the realtor, for the lawyer, for, you know, the million random things that they want to charge you for during the buying a house process. Um, and closing costs can range. Typically mine have been around five to 10,000 on property, um, but it can be less. It's not always that amount. Obviously, if you are $200,000, you know, is a bit low for most places. I mean, the the real estate market has been kind of crazy, um, so it can be difficult to find a place that's in your price range, but it also depends where you live. I live in a, in a place that is just very expensive and the real estate is very expensive. A lot of people retire here. A lot of people buy beach houses here or vacation houses. So it just kind of drives the price of the whole market up, which is really, really frustrating. <laughs> the comparison of a house that I could buy here versus basically like what I bought our house for um, a couple months ago this year. The amount that that cost for this house, you could literally like buy a mansion in North Carolina where I'm from. So that's really annoying, but it just depends on where you live. Um, you know, for example, if you were buying a house that's $500,000 and you have to put three to 3.5% down, then you are going to be putting down around $15,000, obviously, because it's just double my last example. Could have done that math easier than doing it on a calculator, but I think you get the point. Um, and like I said, same thing for conventional, or I don't know if I said it, but for conventional, you can get away with putting 3% down. But again, it just depends on your situation. And this is why it's not only important to talk to a realtor, but also to talk to a lending agent agent or a loan officer so that they can actually go ahead and get all of your information. Um, I would even say really like the first step in the home buying process, if you're really going to go about it the smartest way is to talk to a loan officer or a mortgage company and start developing that relationship and get pre-approved for a loan and figure out what your options are before you even start looking so that you can set good expectations for yourself and so that you are fully prepared and you're not kind of blindsided with someone's and when I say work with them and figure out what you know your options are I mean tell them like hey I want you to lay out exactly what the potential scenarios are for me because from my experience, um, and this is this episode may be a little bit all over the place because I'm thinking of things as I'm starting to talk about them, but from my experience, I have been in situations where I've had a lender just kind of verbally tell me like, yeah, you could qualify for a million dollars or you could qualify for whatever. And then, you know, at the end of the day, if I had just kind of gone with that and moved forward, I would have ended up having to put a lot more cash down than I would have ever wanted to. And not that I would buy a million dollar house anyway. I'm not, that's not my goal in life. Um, but just make sure that you really have them thoroughly walk through potential scenarios for you so that you're not making an offer on a house. And then when it comes time to do the paperwork, you're like, 
oh shit, I didn't realize that I was going to have to pay for this or that I wouldn't qualify for this or that this certain, you know, uh, proof of income wasn't going to work for them and now I have to put more money down. You just want to try your best to avoid those situations if possible. So moving on from that first house that I bought, once I, you know, once we separated, once we got divorced and I moved back to South Carolina, um, they refinanced that house and obviously I was kind of just wiped my hands clean of that. So whenever I moved back to South Carolina, this was the around the beginning of 2021, I rented an apartment again. And this time I rented a two bedroom apartment because obviously I had my business at this point and I am not the type of person where I want to be working in my bedroom. It's just not my thing. I'm not as productive. I like having the space for it. And um, I, at that point, was making enough money in my business to where I could afford to do that. So I rented a two-bedroom apartment, used one room for my bedroom, one room for my office, and for that situation, it was actually fairly simple. All I had to do was show them proof of income. I can't remember exactly everything that I had to show them, but... I showed them some bank statements and in my bank, I actually had enough in savings to where I could pay for the whole 12 months of my lease if I had wanted to. So that I think was really reassuring to them. And also by this point, by the time that I was trying to qualify for an apartment, I had built my credit back up to the point where I wasn't really seen as a risk anymore to people, which so annoying to me because credit, it's just hilarious that we place a numerical value on our worthiness and our, our trustworthiness as a human. It drives me insane. It's, I hate the concept, but at that point, I wasn't really seen as a quote unquote risk to them. So I showed that. I'm pretty sure that I had to show some of my business documents to prove that I actually was a business. And I think that I also had to show some of my um, Stripe transactions just to show that this money was coming in and out of my business itself. And I wasn't like laundering money or something, I guess. But it was actually really, really easy at that point. And I also... I still didn't have multiple tax returns for my business. Not that you necessarily would. I don't think that you really have to show tax. Yeah, you don't have to show tax returns, if I'm correct, whenever you're renting an apartment. But typically, you have to show pay stubs. Um, and I, at this point, I also didn't have myself on payroll. I wasn't like an employee in my business. Show so I just showed them as much documentation as I could. And it was truthfully the most hassle-free process of all of this. So moving on at that point during the summer, so this was early 2021. Then in the summer of 2021, I was getting to the point where I was nearing the end of my lease and I was like, you know, I don't really want to keep renting. I want to start looking for um, a place to actually live, but I was still in that predicament of not having two years of self-employed tax returns. March 2021 was my first tax return. And then my next tax, tax return would have been March of, uh, 2022. Am I getting this timeline correct? My goodness. Yes. March of this year, March of 2022. What was that? Nine months ago. That feels like a lifetime ago. It's so weird. 
So yeah, March of 2022 would have been my second year of tax returns as a self-employed individual. And at that point, I could use my self-employed tax returns to buy a house. But I was getting antsy and I wanted to get out of my apartment. Um, whenever I was working in the apartment, there was always construction going on outside. Parking was a nightmare. Um, there was mold in my apartment. It just, it just started again at downfalling very quickly, which was super frustrating. So, um, also I had to move out for like two weeks of my apartment into another apartment in the complex so they could replace the whole AC unit. They did this with every single person that lived there, which was also a nightmare. But regardless, I started looking for some property and I actually found, um, two lots of land that were right down the street from, from one of my best friends. They were waterfront property and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to build. Like maybe that's the route that I'm gonna go with all of this. I had multiple friends, you know, who had built a house, multiple friend, uh, parents of friends. My parents built their house. So I was like, maybe I'll just build and this is a great location. There's no HOA. Um, it was just, it was an awesome location. So I ended up buying two pieces of property and those properties were each, I believe, $220,000, which is very expensive. And that's kind of, <laughs> if that maybe gives you an example of how expensive the property is down here, granted it was, it is waterfront and it's very difficult to find waterfront property in the first place, but $220,000 for lots of land is quite pricey, but it totaled over an acre and it was, you know, really a great spot. So I bought these pieces of land. I paid for one of those in cash because I had saved up a lot within my business or from my business at this point. And the other lot, I actually did something called owner financing. So again, this is an example of how I kind of worked around not having two years of tax returns in order to get a loan. With an owner finance, essentially what happens is that the person who is selling their house agrees to kind of be your lender. So typically when you're buying a house, you're gonna work with a large mortgage company who is going to loan the money and pay the house off for you. And then you're gonna pay them every month in order to pay off your loan. And that usually takes 15 years, 30 years, depending on what type of um, length of loan you get. With an owner finance, the individual seller is basically agreeing to be that mortgage lender for you. The reason that a lot of people don't want to do that is because they don't get all of their money, right? So for example, if I was to sell this house I'm currently in tomorrow and I agreed to own or finance it to someone, they would be saying, paying me a set amount of money per month and I wouldn't be able to pay off my loan on the house in full. So that's how it normally works. That's why people want someone who can just, you know, get a normal loan so that their loan on their house can be completely paid off and they can go and buy a new house after they sell their house. But the person who I own or financed from had, you know, multiple pieces of land. It was an older man and he was totally fine with me doing the owner finance, which was great. So we did a three year owner finance, which meant that my monthly payment was really high. It was around like over six thousand dollars which 
in hindsight, I wish that I hadn't made that decision. I wish I had, have, would have sat on buying property longer. I'm a very impulsive person. And once I get an idea into my head, there is just no stopping me from doing it. So that's the route that I took. That's what I felt was the right decision at the time. And although I wouldn't have made that same decision in hindsight, it's okay. You live and you learn, you know? So now I'm sitting and I have two pieces of land. And I am, you know, contemplating the building process and I'm like, well, you know what? I'm still in my apartment. So while I'm building, I would want to be living in a house that I'm happy with as opposed to being in an apartment. And obviously, of course, at this time, I'm with, you know, my husband, Jordan, my now husband, Jordan, and we are, you know, basically engaged by this point and we know that we're probably going to get married soon and I just didn't want to start things off in an apartment. That was just my personal preference, preference, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I had been in apartments for so long at that point and I just really wanted a home. I wanted a home to decorate. I wanted a home. I wanted a house to make my home. <laughs> and yeah, that was just, that's what I wanted in that moment. So I decided to start looking for at houses, even though I knew that I still at this point, this was around September of 2021 of last year, still at this point, I did not have two years of self-employed tax returns. So it would still be difficult for me to buy a house and to get a loan. But the realtor that I was working with at the time actually knew the sellers very closely of the home that I ended up buying that many of you saw the process of buying and, you know, of moving in and uh, what's it called? Doing construction on and stuff like that. And that was just a whole mess within itself. The situation actually turned out to be a very bad situation of working with that realtor. And that is a lot of that is because not only was she representing me, but she was also representing the sellers. So that's what is called a dual agent in the realtor world. Um, a piece of advice I would give is to never work with someone who is representing both you and the seller. Um, it's usually not going to turn out well. Uh, it's just usually not because they are they have both of your best interests in mind and it's really hard for them to advocate for you in that process. And I am young and I'm not a real estate expert. So you're trusting in your realtor to guide you and to be honest with you and to help you and to have your best interest at heart. And unfortunately, the real estate agent I was working with last year did not. And it was a very unprofessional situation. And I was really kind of shaken up by it. Um, but my biggest piece of advice for that would be don't work with someone who's a dual agent. I'm sure there are many situations where it works out completely fine. But the, the chance of it working out poorly is just so high that to me, I will never do it again. So anyways, somehow 
with this house, I also ended up being able to have it owner financed. So they agreed to do that until I could refinance the house in March of this year, because at that point my taxes would be filed and I could refinance the house and they would have their loan paid off and it would be completely in my name in a normal loan and everything would be completely good to go. So between... October 2021 and March of 2022 of this year, I also ended up selling one of those lots that I bought. I think it was around January-ish whenever it actually sold. So I sold one of those, got all of that cash back, which was really nice because we had just kind of decided, you know, I decided I don't need both of these lots in order to build a house. I don't need over an acre to live on. And also during this time, you know, I would say, in a, like around the summer of this year, me and my husband were talking and we were kind of starting the building process and it was just definitely going to end up being way more expensive than we had anticipated. It takes a long time to build a house. And in addition to being very impulsive, I'm also very, very, very impatient with things that I want. So I'm not, I feel like I'm pretty patient with people in my life and with situations, but if there is something I want, it's super hard to like get a gift for me because I've just already bought it. Or if I want to build a house, I want to just snap my fingers and it be done. And obviously that's just not realistic in every situation. So we were talking and it kind of turned into a situation of, you know, we want to be out of this house that we're in our last house you know that we bought last October I'm sure many of you have heard me talk about it I talked about it a bit on the opening episode of this season but they're just things started going wrong there were things that we weren't told about whenever we first bought the house it was also from 1940 so there were it was just thing after thing after thing that was having to be replaced so much money was having to be put into the house so this is another thing that I would recommend you always do whenever you're buying a house house is get really tight on your inspections and with making sure that you were you were asking your realtor what can I have done like what can I have done what can I have inspected what tests can we do what can I possibly do to ensure that this house is sound and is is not going to basically be a money pit for me in you know, the next year or the next couple of years. So I definitely would recommend that you do that. I know that it is you're really impatient, you want the house, you want to get in the house. And if you're in the process of searching for a house, it can be really tough because you may put in an offer and then you lose the offer and you're looking at houses all the time and it can just get discouraging. And so when you find one that you want, it's like, okay, let's put in an offer right now. Um, but I definitely would recommend that you really cover your bases and protect yourself in that way because you don't want to find yourself in that situation where things are starting to go wrong. You're having to spend ten thousand dollars to replace something every time you blink your eyes and it's just not what you were expecting and that's kind of what happened with our last house so over the summer we decided you know what maybe we're just not going to build right now let's just start looking for another house so we started searching for another home in i would say around 
August of this year and it took us a while to find the house that we are currently in. We put an offer in on two other houses before this one. I'm actually really glad that we didn't get those and then we ended up, you know, getting this house at the time. It was very disappointing and I cried a lot, but that's just how it goes. And in hindsight, again, it all worked out for the best and I was confident that it would, but still allowed myself to be sad about it in the moment. Um, but yeah, we decided to just kind of put a halt on the building process and I do still have the lot of land, the other lot of land, um, since I bought two, I have one left and it is for sale. So we'll see what happens with that. It's kind of hard to, to sell land. It always takes longer than selling a house. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a process and it's not a big deal. I paid off that lot, so I don't have a payment on it anymore. And I, you know, it's just, it's, it's not costing me any money besides like yearly taxes, which is annoying, but, um, it's not costing me anything monthly. And so we're just kind of sitting on that right now. It's listed and we'll see what happens. I do want to recoup all of that cash that's in it <laughs> since we're not going to be building on it, but it's, it's all good for right now. So moving forward to this house that we have currently right now, um, the process for buying this house was definitely a lot smoother than any of the others because I had two years of self-employed tax returns um, and I was just on a lot better financial footing to be able to buy a house. I didn't have to worry about an FHA loan or trying to find someone that would do owner finance for me. And it was just, it was just kind of more clean cut. Um, even with that still, you know, I still had to put down a significant down payment. Um, and this is kind of where it is going to depend on your situation. So you may be in a situation where you have the funds to put down a large down payment, um, maybe for, you know, from you, maybe you and your partner have both been saving up. And if you have the funds to put down a larger down payment, you're typically going to be able to get a better loan all around. Um, because the amount that you're actually financing is going to be significantly lower if you put down a large down payment. Um, if you don't have the you know ability to put down a large down payment, then you can always kind of talk to a loan officer or a lender and figure out what options for loans there are for you in order for you to put down less, maybe 3% or 5% of the total cost of the property that you're buying. And then another factor is if you, you know, like I said, have a partner that can either help you with the down payment or who can also be on the loan with you. Um, some of that's also going to depend on their credit. You know, if they have significantly poor credit and you have significantly good credit, then it may hurt you more than it helps you for them to be on the loan. But if you both have good credit and you can combine your incomes on a loan, that's also always going to help you qualify for not only a larger loan, but also just better conditions and um, kind of stipulations on your loan as well. So that's kind of my journey with <laughs> real estate. It has been a lot. I mean, that's what one, two, three, four, five properties bought. And I guess technically kind of three properties sold within the past three years, which is which is a lot. It's felt like I've just constantly been buying and selling and buying and selling. Um, but the realtor that I'm currently working with and that we worked with to buy the house we live in now was amazing. I love him so much, raved about him. 
in his review and I would recommend him to anyone. He is, if you, I, I made a video about this on TikTok, but some of the things that I like, like about him and liked about him during the process of selling and buying our home or selling our old home and buying this home, excuse me, I just burped. You know what? It happens. Um, is that he was always super honest with me. Um, the person that I worked with before, it was just kind of uh, someone that like a friend knew as an acquaintance. And I was like, okay, yeah, that works. Um, this person I actually sought out and, you know, looked him up, looked at the company that he worked for and the vast, the, it was so vastly different working with our last realtor versus working with him, not only with him, but even just the companies. It was just such a different experience working with our current realtor now and the realty company he works with. It was an example of really going above and beyond. And I think this relates so much as a business owner myself. I'm constantly telling my students how important client experience is. And it is so, so true. And I continue to see that as I have experienced experiences with other business owners. But one of the things is that he was always very, very honest with me. He was honest when, you know, there was a house that we were looking at that he was like, you know what, I think this house is going to need a lot of work in the next year or two. And he obviously saw things that we didn't see because he has so much experience with it. He, I felt like he was always very invested, like he wanted to win, you know? So whenever we were putting in offers on houses, he was also so disappointed whenever we didn't get them. And obviously it's about the money, you know, he's profiting from this as well, but I really felt like he cared and he wanted to do everything that he could to make it work, to brainstorm ideas, to go the extra mile. Um, he was available for me whenever I was like panicking about something or needed help with something or a quick answer even like in the evenings he was always there and he also was willing to help us out if we were out of town and we were doing a showing on the house he would come and be there for it or even helped me fix a couple of things around the house at our old house before we actually listed it so he was just he's just like the definition of a stand-up guy and that really flows over into him as a real estate agent so definitely search around, do your homework. I sat down and talked with him for around like an hour, hour and a half before I even officially started working with him just to kind of see how we got along. And because I think that that's so important. I feel like he is not only our realtor now, but I feel like he is a friend. And I think being able to get along with your realtor and actually vibe together um, is is so important because you're going to be talking to them a lot. You're going to be seeing them a lot. You're going to need to be honest with each other and you're going to need to kind of have them advocating for you. So being able to actually like them as a person, I think is huge. Um, but yeah, it was a stressful process and I have learned a lot throughout it. I definitely want to get into investing into real estate and, um, Obviously, you know, where we live, it's big on rental properties. We have a lot of tourists coming in and out. So I want to explore that. I think I'm going to maybe explore that a little bit in the future because the real estate market's kind of crazy right now. We definitely overpaid for our house, but it is what it is. And everything's just expensive around here right now. So I think we're going to hold off a little while and explore that in the future 
and not right at this moment because I want to make sure I'm prepared for it. But I think that that's a really, really great route of passive income for any business owner is, you know, venturing into real estate. Eventually, that is kind of what I would want to have is just passive income coming in through real estate and to be able to basically kind of retire in that way. So that's my my goal for the future whenever whenever that comes. But I think I covered mostly everything. I'm going to dive into the questions that I got on Instagram now. Okay, so there were quite a few questions about qualifying to rent an apartment and qualifying for a loan or getting approved for a loan. And I think I pretty much covered that in what I was talking about earlier. But like I said, it's going to be very situational. Um, You're going to need, if you want to solely use your business income, you're going to need two years of tax returns. If you don't have that, like I said, there's ways to kind of get around it or to um, use your tax returns when you were in a nine to five or sometimes, you know, If you're renting an apartment, just showing proof of bank statements and proof of income is enough. I did say renting an apartment, right? Sometimes I can't remember what word I said like two seconds ago. But yeah, if you're renting an apartment, then proof of income and bank statements is usually enough. Uh, With getting a loan, that's obviously way harder. There's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. But if you have two years of tax returns, then that is sufficient. You're also going to need to provide a bunch of random other things, which I wasn't expecting. I had to show, you know, send a lot of receipts from my business, send a bunch of bank statements from all of my accounts, had to fill out some random forms. I think that they just have, it's a lot more difficult for the underwriters of your loan to approve the loan when you're self-employed because, you know, documents can be faked. It's more, it's just more convoluted than if you were to just have a W-2 or pay stubs from a big company that you're working for or any company you're working for. So the process is just more lengthy, but you know, it's going to depend on your situation. Like I said, if you have a partner that can be on the loan with you, that is always ideal. And to be able to just kind of bump that income up from your partner, that's helpful too. Your credit score is going to play a factor. But again, like I said, with something like an FHA loan, that can help you um, mitigate that if you have a lower credit score. And outside of that, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to provide them. And at the end of the day, it's it can vary from company to company and from lender to lender. I've worked with a few different ones now and they all needed different things from me. So it's it's going to a lot of it's also going to depend on that. But I think I've kind of talked about like the major things that you'll need for that. Next question, process of writing off a room that is also your office. So yeah, I did this with my apartment. I did this with our last house and I will be doing that with this house as well. I have a designated office in this house, so I'll be writing that room off. If anyone didn't know, you can write off um, a room in your house if you are using it as your office. So wherever your desk is, wherever you are using for your office, you can write that square footage off. And um, the way that this worked is going, it's going to depend on your accountant. I recommend if you are self-employed, just work with an accountant. Business gets very convoluted. There's going to be so many um, 
so many things that could be written off or so many workarounds for you if you're a business owner that you're not going to know about if you're not working with a professional. So the last accountant that I was working with actually sent over a spreadsheet to me during tax season and had me fill in, you know, the square footage of the room that was used for my office, had me fill out how much my phone bill was every month, how much my internet bill was every month, how much my electric bill was every month, how much my mortgage payment was every month. And then they're able to kind of do the math on that and figure out what you, how much you're going to be able to write off. And it's not a crazy amount, but anything helps that you can write off when you're a business owner. So they're able to figure that out because for some things, there's only a percentage that you can write off of it, um, like certain bills. So I would definitely talk about that with your accountant, um, even if it's just during, even if you're not working month to month with a bookkeeper, which as soon as you can, that's a great thing to do. But either way, you're going to want an accountant to file your taxes for you. They end up usually paying for themselves because of how much money they're able to save you versus you or how much money they're able to kind of, um, yeah, save you versus you doing it on your own. And also whatever you have to pay them is a business expense. So you're still able to write that off. And they'll figure out, you know, how they want to calculate that for you. Next question, what's an unexpected hurdle you encountered? I had to think about this one and I think that what, it, I mean, I kind of talked about my bad experience with the past realtor. I wasn't expecting that. And there were, you know, I think it, it kind of showed me that you never fully know someone's character that you're working with in a setting like that and it sucks, but there were definitely things done, um, especially, you know, earlier in this year where I was like, wow, I just would never have expected this person to do this, like morally, professionally as a, as someone who I thought was kind of my friend. And so that really sucked. But I think bigger than that, I had to learn to expect the unexpected and to realize that in real estate and with buying and selling and all of that, usually things don't go as planned. And I am the type of person where if someone tells me, you know, okay, we're going to be closing on this house on October 5th and that doesn't happen, I am like, oh God. I, I was just, especially the past couple months with selling our old house and buying this house, I was kind of waiting at any moment for something to go wrong. So I was really trying to mentally prepare myself, especially with the fact that we had put in two other offers on different houses and that had fallen through when we felt really confident and they were really strong offers. I think that that taught me that you really can't 100% rely on anything and you're going to throughout this process have realtors, have lenders, have lawyers telling you, yes, this is getting done this date. Um, I'm just waiting on this one document. And then they get that one document and you're like, phew. And then they're like, oh, actually there's one more document we have to get, or this place is closed or this place isn't responding to us. That was just kind of constantly happening. So I had to really tell myself like, this is going to happen when it happens, it's going to get done. If it doesn't get done, then it wasn't meant to be. But 
I just kind of had to take my expectations off of things and realize that I was not in control of this process because there's so many people that are involved in the process of you closing on a house, whether you're selling or buying it. And so many things are just out of your hands. You could do everything you're supposed to do correctly. You could be very prompt in responding and getting all of your information over and getting the documents they need. But on the other side of what's happening, you can't control how quickly things move or things that just pop up that you weren't expecting. For example, whenever we were selling and trying to buy, you know, selling our old house, buying this current house that we live in, we were days away from closing. And the person who was buying our old house was trying to get homeowner's insurance because you, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have it, but it's very smart to get homeowner's insurance that starts the day that you close on your house. So for example, you know, if you close on, if you buy a house and you close on it November 5th and you wait until November 10th to get homeowner's insurance, if something happens between the 5th and the 10th, you're liable for all of those damages, which is not a situation you want to be in. The likelihood of it happening is fairly low, but when it comes to that, I don't play around with it. So our, the person uh, buying our old house was trying to get homeowner's insurance on it. And coincidentally, that also happened to be when the hurricane was hitting. And we were in, you know, the zone for the hurricane to potentially hit, which altered his ability to be able to get homeowner's insurance. And you, like I said, you want homeowner's insurance. He wanted it, which makes total sense to me. So that delayed everything because we had to wait for basically the government to release all of these, you know, holdings that they had. At the time, nobody could get homeowner's insurance because you can't just get it when there's a named storm coming towards you because some people will up their policies just because the storm is coming, which I think you should be able to do that. But, you know, I'm not an insurance agent, so... Yeah, so that pushed things forward and I was just like, of course. And even after that, you know, the day we were supposed to close, we pushed it. We had to push it probably three or four times. And I mean, we still were doing a relatively fast closing. I think it ended up being around like a 40-day close, which a 30-day close is considered to be really fast. So you know, it is what it is and it wasn't that big of a deal in the long run, but it's, it's just always... Why am I burping so much? It's just always something that pops up. And so I I really had to work on my patience and work on my my control freak uh, tendencies and just let things happen and understand that it was out of my control and I could only do so much. So I think expect the unexpected. Don't have, you know super high expectations, understand that things are going to go wrong. People are not going to always do exactly what they said they would do. And they're not always going to do it in the time frame they said it would do. And, you know, take <laughs> when someone says to you, we're for sure closing on this day, or this is definitely happening, happening this day, take it with a grain of salt. They're trying to be positive for you and keep things pushing forward. But there's also a lot of things that are out of you know, the lawyers control, the realtors control, the lenders control. So just keep that in mind. But for anyone who is in this process, I feel for you, it's really stressful. There is a lot to it and it can be a huge headache, but I am so happy now to be through the thick of it and, you know, 
in a home that I love and that I know will be in for a really long time, if not potentially the rest of our life. And it just feels really nice. It's crazy to be able to, you know, call yourself a homeowner at 23, 24, 25. And I feel very, very fortunate to be in that situation, but I would not be in this situation if I had not started my business. And I think about that often, you know, there is, I don't, I don't understand how people like I don't understand how I ever could have been able to afford a house making the income that I was making at my nine to five um it's crazy it's it's really crazy the situations that you have to be in to be able to buy a house and the income you have to be making and it's unfortunate I think it should be way more accessible than it is to people and it sucks how many hoops you have to jump through and how much you have to be making in order to qualify for a house these days. So I urge you, if you are kind of, you know, one of those people who like maybe one of your goals for starting your business would be to be able to buy a house, do it. I would never be in this situation if I hadn't done it. And it is scary owning a home because you're like, wow, I have to be able to make this payment. It's not like I can just go to another apartment. Um, So being able to have the financial security and stability that comes from owning a business, I mean, it's still scary for me and I I own a very successful business. So being able to have more stability and not worry about, you know, is my boss going to let me go or is the market going to crash and I'm not going to have my corporate job anymore or, you know, whatever that looks like, the worry you have. Not having to have that in the back of my head has been so nice with now, you know, owning a home. So just do it. Start the business. All right. If anyone has any other questions that pop up as you're listening to this, shoot me a DM on Instagram if you're a realtor and you want to um, correct me or tell me what's up, then <laughs> also message me on Instagram. Um, but yeah, Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you are feeling so kind and generous today, I would love it if you left a review. That is, you know, I've mentioned it before. It's always super, super helpful when you leave reviews. I also love seeing your comments that you leave in the reviews and it just helps me, you know, be able to continue pushing out this free longer form content for you. All right. Hope everybody is having a great month holiday season for a lot of people and that can cause a lot of craziness. So hope you're all taking it easy, taking some time for yourself if you are a business owner or anyone really. But thanks for listening and I will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at the Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? (laughs) Talk to you next time.